All right, so I got to tell you what happened to me last week. Lord have mercy. So on Monday, I'm sitting in the waiting room at Athens TOC waiting for my doctor's appointment. And it got kind of warm in there, and the soft music was being piped in through the speaker. And, man, the seats were really comfortable, and I got really cozy. And before I knew it, my eyelids began to shut, and then I just dozed right off to sleep. And then out of nowhere, somebody says, Mr. Barlow! Man, I jumped up out of my sleep, and my foot was asleep, and I limped all the way to the door trying to get to the, to the nurse. Oh, my heavens, what a morning that was. I was enjoying my little slumber. Man, I was completely oblivious to what was going on around me. And then listen to me. Then somebody called for me. Y'all following me? Today... We're actually going to conclude this thriving in turbulent times series. Somebody say amen. <laughs> amen. But in this last uh, installment, Paul warns us about slumbering spiritually as we wait for Jesus Christ. He tells us that we need to live wide awake as we wait obediently. For our Lord to come get us. But my question today is how long do I got to wait? How long do I have to continue in this obedient living? How long? Well, the Bible says until I hear that shout. Until I hear the voice of that archangel. Until I hear the trumpet of God. I am to walk in what I'm going to call today an end times lifestyle. The Apostle Paul addressed an end times lifestyle in Romans chapter 13. That's on page 1009 in the Bibles in front of you. I want you to follow along with me. Page 1009. Romans chapter 13, and I'm going to begin in verse 11. Before I get started, I want to remind you who Paul is writing to in Romans. He's writing to church folks. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. So when you hear what you hear, make sure that you understand that he very well could have been writing to you too. Okay, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, Paul starts by saying, <clears throat> and do this. Crystal clear, right? And do this, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. Now, I could have used that on Monday. Amen. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, 
not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So what does an end times lifestyle look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. An end times lifestyle means that we wake up from our slumber. It means that we stay alert to what's going on around us. It means that we get with God's program. See, many Christians are born again. They're heaven bound. They're blood bought. But they ain't getting with the program. They're not getting with God's program. And I believe that the Apostle Paul lays out four parts to God's program for living an end times lifestyle just in those few verses. And he begins by saying that we are to watch with vigilance. To be watchful with vigilance. There in verses 11 and 12, Paul gives us five different references to time. He says, knowing the time, it's high time. Our salvation is nearer in time. The night is far spent. You're almost out of time. The day is at hand. He's almost coming. So understanding the times is what these messages on thriving in turbulent times have been all about. Understanding the times, what to do, that is how to live in light of the times, in light of Christ's imminent coming. Now, in Matthew 16, Jesus did some scolding of some leaders in that day. And the reason he was scolding them is because they knew the seasons, but they didn't recognize the signs of the times. Would Jesus scold you? For knowing that it's fall outside, but you're not recognizing the fact that Jesus could come any day. In our day, many believers know more about what's going on around us than they do about God's program for Jesus' return. Friend, listen to me. We need to make it our business. We need to make it our business to know God's plan for our future. Does that make sense? We ought to know God's plan for our future. Why? Because the Lord's return is imminent. What does the word imminent mean? Basically, imminent says it's something that could happen at any moment. It could happen this afternoon, or it can happen 10 years from now. We don't know the when, but ain't nothing going to stand in the way of it happening. And this is the case with Christ's appearing. At the end of the age, when he comes at the rapture of the church, and he comes for you and me, ain't 
nothing going to stand in his way. And listen very carefully, friends. There are no prophetic events remaining on God's timetable for the rapture of the church. Everything's been done. Everything's been accomplished before the rapture of his church. It literally could happen this afternoon. But then Paul mentions our salvation. Now, salvation is more than just being saved from the penalty of sin, as amazing as that is. You see, salvation has what we'll call three tenses. There's a past tense, there's a present tense of salvation, and there's a future tense of salvation. The past tense of your salvation occurred the moment you were converted to Jesus Christ. The moment that happened, you were saved from the penalty of sin the moment that you said, I accept Christ's death on the cross as payment for my sins. The moment you did that, you're now saved and you're looking at the past tense of salvation. The present tense of salvation is ongoing. The present tense is ongoing. We're saved from not only the penalty of sin, but we're saved from the power of sin to enslave us again. You see, before you were saved, the flesh pretty much did what it wanted to do. Somebody say amen. Pretty much did what you wanted to do. But now that you're saved, things are different. It doesn't mean that you will never sin again. But it does mean that you don't have to sin again. That's the present tense. Now, I want to speak to you briefly about the future reality of our salvation. And that occurs in heaven when we're actually freed from the actual presence of sin. That's going to be a glorious day, y'all. No more temptation. No more sin. No more cussing. No more drinking, no more partying, no more revelry, none of that business, no more. No more sin. Praise God. And I believe that it's this future reality that Paul is referring to when he says, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, we don't know the day. We don't know if it'll be this afternoon. But we do know that we are nearer now than when we first got saved. You can always say that. So, in the light of the Lord's imminent return, Paul says, it's high time, y'all. It's high time to awake out of sleep. Now, what does he mean, high time to awake out of sleep? Well, what is sleep? I had to look it up. I couldn't define sleep. Snoozing, snoring, I don't know. So I looked it up and it said, sleep is the loss of conscious activity. It's the loss, the decrease in physical activity. And those are adequate definitions of sleep. But sadly, our churches in America and all over the world are suffering from just such a loss of conscious activity. Many churches are struggling because of the decrease in conscious activity when it comes to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So, What's Paul saying? Simply, he's saying, church, 
Jesus could return at any moment. Be ready. Be awake. Now, you know, the Bible doesn't often say things as plainly as Paul did there in verse 11. But I like it when the Bible does. But Paul said, and do this, knowing the time. Do this. Okay, that's great. I love that. If I do this, then I'll get the results, right? Do this, knowing the time. Do what, though? Well, that's when you got to kind of have to look at the context. You have to go back into verse 8 and 9 and 10 and learn what he said previously. And in a nutshell, it's this. He said, um, make sure that you love one another. Make sure you obey God's commandments. And make sure that you love your neighbor. Do that. Do this. Love one another. Obey God's commandments. Love your neighbor. You see, the simplest way that we can explain how to live an end times lifestyle is through the word love. Love. Love, as we know in the scriptures, is the fulfillment of God's law. If we love, then we'll know that we are doing this according to what Paul said. And when Jesus returns... We want him to find us alert. We want him finding us loving one another. We want him to find us obeying the commandments of God just like he commanded. But not only are we to be watching vigilantly, the Bible also says that we're to be warring valiantly. How many of you know that while we're waiting for Jesus, the battle rages on? There is a battle ensuing on a spiritual level that you can't even begin to imagine. The battle rages on. And so Paul instructs us not only to put on the armor of light. He also says, listen up. Put off the deeds of darkness. And to be sure that we knew what works or deeds of darkness looked like. He gives us six examples. There in verse 13, he said, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So to fight back in this war that we're all in, we must put off darkness. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Bill. You told me that Paul was writing to Christians. You told me that Paul was writing to the Roman church. And you're telling me that they need to put off darkness? Listen to me. That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Is it possible for a Christian... To slip back into a sinful lifestyle? Is it possible for a Christian to slip back into revelry and drunkenness? Yep. Is it possible for a Christian to slip back into lewdness and lust? Yep. Is it possible? Possible that a Christian... Could slip back into strife and envy? 
That's exactly what I'm telling you. Indeed, they can. And listen to me, friends. You're looking at one who did it. For 17 years, I slipped back into that lifestyle. 17 long years. And can I tell you this? It was some of the hardest, most painful, most punishing times of my life. And it had not been for the grace of God. I'd had no hope at all. But that story from the prodigal pit to the pulpit is for another message. But I just want you to know that you're looking at someone who's experienced what I'm preaching about today. See, often while we're waiting for something, if it don't occur on our timetable, if it doesn't occur quick enough, then we start getting drowsy, inattentive, and maybe complacent, just like I did on Monday morning. Completely oblivious to what was going on around me. And that's why Paul told these Roman believers, wake up! Wake up! See, some Christians, they fall back into sinful patterns because they're snoozing on the job. They're not alert. Some believers slip back into a sinful lifestyle because they've done found themselves a nice comfort zone. Some believers slip back into a sinful lifestyle because they have, have uh, kind of gotten to this place where they're just a spectator up in the stands. Instead of a player down on the field. We must stay awake. We must stay alert to our behavior and what's going on around us. Why? Because sin doesn't go away just because you're a Christian. Sin does not go away just because you're a born again believer. It remains alive. And ready to battle the spirit of God within you with everything it's got. And you got to be on guard. We have to be alert, awake, constantly casting off those deeds of darkness. But we must also put on the light. Specifically, the armor of light, Paul said. Now, light in the Bible is always or usually a picture of walking in fellowship with God or with one another. In 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. You see, if you don't put off those deeds of darkness, there ain't no way, friend, that you can have fellowship with God. Are you following me? If you don't put off the works of darkness, you don't, can't have a close fellowship with God. End of story. And I'm talking to Christians today, just like Paul was talking to Christians that day. If you don't put them off, you can't have a relationship with God. A fellowship with God. You have a relationship, but you can't have fellowship with Him. 
when it comes to staying in fellowship with God, compromising to sin is unacceptable. It is unacceptable for the Christian. He is either God of all or he ain't God at all. Somebody say amen. God of all or he ain't God at all. Friend, you can't straddle the fence when it comes to compromising with sin. You got to choose one side or the other. And when you choose one side, you begin to distance yourself from the other. That goes both ways. If you choose God, that means you're distancing yourself from those deeds of darkness. But if you choose the other side of the fence, what's going to happen is, is you're going to start putting off God. And you're going to be in trouble. And you're going to walk in that same lifestyle that I walked in for 17 years. Painful, punishing, hurtful to myself and others. Don't straddle the fence. Because there comes a time in every Christian's life when they must cut ties. They must cut ties with anything. Say anything. Anything, y'all, that separates you from God. Cut it off. Cast it off. It has no place in your life. And can I tell you, sometimes in doing that, Boy, it's going to feel like a war. It's going to feel like a knockdown, drag out battle. But you must cast off the deeds of darkness. So, to get with God's program, to start living this end times lifestyle that I'm talking about, you've got to watch vigilantly, but you also got to war. You got to war valiantly. But Paul also said that we're to walk with virtue. Literally, he said, let us walk properly as in the day. Friend, in so doing, we will reject public sin. You'll reject public sin. See, revelry and drunkenness give us the picture of a Roman soldier who gets off duty, and then he goes to a party, and he gets drunk, totally wasted, right? And then the next morning, he shows up for work, but he can't work. Because he's all hung over from the party before. Yeah, he might have been off duty. But now, his revelry and drunkenness has affected his duty as a soldier. In that condition, he's not able to respond to his duty. He's still hung over from the day before. We are to do nothing as Christians that might hinder us from doing what God calls us to do. Do nothing. Got to cast it off and do nothing. And so not only do we need to reject public sin, but we also need to renounce private sin. Now I might be getting a little personal with this, so brace yourself because here it comes. While revelry and drunkenness are public sins, lewdness and lust, strife and envy are private sins. You see... Many times, we Christians, we really appear fine on the outside. But on the inside, we are eat up with pride.
private sales. Eat up with private sins that you think no one else knows about. Here's what you need to know. You cannot be filled with those sins and be filled with God at the same time. Something's got to give. Something's got to go. You can't be filled with these sins and God at the same time. And don't forget who Paul was talking to here. He's talking to Christians. Talking to believers. Just like you and me. So to live this end times lifestyle, we have to be alert for Christ's coming, watching vigilantly, warring valiantly, and walking in virtue, the virtue of God. Rejecting public sins and renouncing the private ones. It's got to go. But finally, we're to be waiting in victory. Notice I said in victory, not for victory. Jesus has already won the victory. Somebody say amen. We already got the victory. But so many Christians don't walk in it. They don't walk in the victory. They don't wait in the victory that God has accomplished for us. In verse 14, Paul gives us two instructions for how we're to live in victory over sin while we're waiting for Jesus to come get us. Here's what he says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every morning when you put on your clothes, you need to put on your Jesus too. Every morning, just as your clothes will cover you. Just as your clothes will make you presentable. So too will Jesus Christ. Friend, just as your clothes will be with you everywhere you go all day. So too will Jesus Christ. And friend, if there's somewhere... That you can't take Jesus, you ain't got no business there. Don't you take Jesus in there with you. If you don't think you can go in there with, with him, then you ain't got no business there. You see, if Jesus is with you every single moment of your day, you'll never find yourself involved in these deeds of darkness. Because he ain't going. He ain't going with you in there. He's not going to enter into that sin with you. No, you got to cast it off. Now, the second instruction, first instruction was put on the Lord Jesus. The second instruction while you're waiting in victory is to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, if you know that you have a weakness in some area... Maybe God saved you out of some form of addiction. I don't know. Well, if God saved you out of that and you still have that weakness, it only makes good sense that you stay away from the people and the places that might tempt you to go back into that habit. Stay away from them. Make no provision for the flesh. 
I mean, a recovering alcoholic ought to stay out of the beer joint. Might be doing some meddling, but a person who struggles with gossiping might ought to stay away from that community busybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're struggling with gambling, by all means, stay away from Tunica. Right? You get my drift, don't you? You got to stay away from those places. Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for such a possibility. I mean, you remember that guy who was addicted to donuts, don't you? Am I speaking to some of them here? Well, in making no provision, he decided that he was going to start taking another way to work to avoid going by the Krispy Kreme. Well, one day he forgot. And he passed by the Krispy Kreme and he said, Lord, if there's a parking spot in the front of that Krispy Kreme, I'll know it's from you and that it's okay for me to stop. Well, sure enough, on the eighth trip around the block, <laughs> there it was. And there he parked. What did he do? He made provision for the flesh. He made provision. But Paul says, don't put yourself in a position to fail. That makes good sense to me. Don't put yourself in a position to fail. So what is the secret to waiting in victory? It's easy. Put yourself in places where you know you can succeed. Put yourself in places where you can be victorious like the church. Put yourself in places where you can get victory. You know why? Because victory breeds victory. Some victory brings more victory. And friend, then all of a sudden you're going to find that one day when victory breeds victory, you're going to find that you're living a lifestyle of victory while you're waiting for Jesus to come get us. For 10 weeks now, y'all, it's been that long. 10 weeks I've been sharing about the return of Christ and the fact that his return is at hand. Could be this afternoon, I don't know. But if you want victory in your Christian life, if you want to live this end times lifestyle while you're waiting for him, don't be found at the beer joint. Don't be found at Tunica. By all means, don't be going to the Christmas cream. Somebody say amen. I'm just kidding. Here's my point. You know what gives you difficulty. You know. What gives you difficulty? Stay away. Stay away. Stay away from it. Make no provision for the flesh. Because friend, if you've been saved, you've been saved from the penalty of sin in your past, and you've got power over sin in your present, you can do it. You don't have to go to Krispy Kreme. If that's a problem for you, you've got to learn to stay away. And that's the heart of Galatians 2.20, my favorite Bible verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means that I have been saved from the penalty of sin in my past. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That means I have power over sin in my present. Why? Because Jesus is with me, and he ain't going to a sinful place if I enter in there. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith. When I reread that again, I don't know how many times I've read that verse, y'all. Literally, I think thousands. When I read that verse again, that part by faith jumped off the page at me. And I immediately was drawn to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's an ongoing list of how God's men and God's women have lived by faith. By faith. People like Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Samuel, David and the prophets of old, John the Baptist, all the disciples, and you have come to Jesus by faith. And listen to what the book of Hebrews says about you. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were just strangers and pilgrims, sojourners on this earth. And truly, they say such things to declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Interesting. But now they desire a heavenly country. A heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. You see all these people in, Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 11? They were convinced. They were convinced for the coming of the Lord. And they were convinced that the Lord was coming again. Are you convinced? Are you absolutely convinced? Friend, are you ready? Look at the front of your bulletin. Hold it up if you got one. Hold it up so I can see it. There's one. There's one. What's it say on the front? Say it with me. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you living an end times lifestyle that's watching vigilantly? Warring against sin valiantly. That it's walking in virtue and waiting in victory. Are you ready? Friend, are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? Are you living the kind of lifestyle where you would not be ashamed if today, this moment, you met Jesus face to face? Take a look at that next slide. This is a, a portion of what the end times life timetable looks like. If you'll notice, there's a bubble over here to the left that says you're here. And if you'll notice, just a little bit after that, we see the rapture of the church. 
Then we see a seven-year tribulation of which if you're a believer and part of the church, you will not be a part of that tribulation. But then we see the second coming. Many people are confused about the rapture of the church and the Lord's second coming. It's very simple. At the rapture of the church, Jesus returns, look at it, for his church. When Jesus comes again for the second time on this earth, Jesus returns with his church. That means we're coming back with him. And there will be a thousand year reign at that time and the timetable goes on into heaven. You need to understand that. The first time he comes for us, the second coming, he'll come with us. Don't leave today without being absolutely convinced that you're ready. If you've never come to Christ, you can do that today. But if you're a believer and you recognize, man, I hadn't been getting with the program. And I hadn't been li living no end times lifestyle. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not ready. It's a scary place to be, y'all. Are you ready? Even as a Christian. Remember who Paul was writing to? Christians. So today we offer this invitation, this decision time. Yes, for, for those who have not come to Christ. But also perhaps for Christians that realize, I hadn't been living an end times lifestyle. I hadn't been with the program. I ain't ready if Jesus came right now. So however you need to pray, whatever you need to pray, whatever decision you need to make, I want to encourage you to do that today. You say, well, how can, how can I as a Christian get with the program? Give me that next slide, brother. There's the easy way to do it. Y'all getting the play on words there? Bethelite. Bethelites ought to be the light. Amen? Be the light. Bethelite. Get with the program. Start living an end times lifestyle. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't you hesitate one second. Don't you leave here without knowing that Jesus is your Savior and that you're ready for him to come get you. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for the provision of salvation you provided for every man, woman, and child. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus today that if there is one who has not given their lives for the one who has given his life for them, that they will not hesitate to come. Maybe they don't know all the answers and they don't know all that the Bible says. Lord, I pray that they would just come and they would receive from your word the answers they seek. And Lord, as Paul was writing to believers here in Romans, Lord, you've addressed this message to believers here at Bethel. I pray that if there's something we need to do to get with your program and start living this end times lifestyle, Father, that they would not hesitate to come. Come to this altar to pray. And to get ready. Because indeed, 
might send the son to get his bride even today. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said.